Well, it's good to be with you. Uh, again, my name's Nate. I'm one of the pastors here as well. And uh, it's good to sing together and to hear what God's doing around the world. Uh, it's always wonderful to hear the stories and see pictures of, of those who are really trying to pursue a uh, new life in, in Christ and uh, that we get to do that with them. Uh, if you'd like to talk more with John, he'll be at a table out in the lobby there. And he mentioned the social media areas where you can connect with him and, and kind of follow along and know how to pray uh, as he continues, as they uh, continue to post what they're doing. I think it's a great way to stay connected. Social networks often can help us make these good connections, which is helpful because it's not social media is not always a helpful thing. And so it's good to see the ways it's helpful in making connections. This, this last week, I actually had a couple good connections through social media. One was uh, a friend whose name is Meg and she was at my old church in Colorado and uh, she was in my eighth, one of our eighth grade confirmation classes and I got to watch her grow up and, and graduate high school and get, go into the military and then she became a pilot and uh, she moved out to Kansas as part of her, you know, as she was moving into a different, a different career and so we connected online this last week and she said, hey, nah, you're at Hillcrest, I want to come visit your church this fall sometime when I'm in town and it was just really cool to make that connection with Megan again and I had another good connection this week with another friend from the Kansas City area area, got a, a personal message from her through Instagram where she was saying, hey, I'm starting a new business and I'm wondering if you want to join this group for my new business. And I said, sure, yeah. And she sent a little note saying, thanks so much. You know, I feel so loved when you said yes. And it sounds just like what we talk about. She said, could you send me your phone number? And I thought, oh, I think I've sent her my phone number. Maybe she lost it. So I sent her my phone number. And then she wrote back and said, thanks so much. Uh, here's my email. Send me your contact information through my, this email. And I began to get that feeling. You ever get that feeling? Like something's a little off here, you know, I think, I think I'm getting swindled. I might be getting bamboozled or tricked here. And, uh, and so I just, I stopped communicating. You know, someone obviously had hacked her account and was using it to try to, you know, scam me. And any of you ever kind of take the bait on those things? You ever, yeah, see those? Yeah, it, it is no fun. Some of you have received a fake email supposedly from me telling you that I'm in a meeting. I can't be disturbed, but I need you to go to the store and get some gift cards for me right now. And uh, don't ask me why, just go and do it. And um, it's so uh, upsetting and disturbing when people use our accounts to take advantage of our friends and their kindness. And, you know, those imposters are the worst. Uh, impersonators damage people so much. We just, we just hate it when that happens. Uh, we even hate it when, when people are just fake with us, like face to face in general. Like when you're talking to someone and you can tell like they're somewhere else or they're just trying to, there's a little facade they've put on and you're like, you can't get through it. You ever been in that experience? And you're like, hey, come on, tell me what's really going on. And uh, we, we hate it in ourselves also. We come back from that, that party or whatever it was a couple weeks ago and we didn't really know anybody there. So we smiled the whole time, pretending like life is great, you know, and interact with people that we don't really know. And it, we come home, we're like, man, I, I just totally faked that whole thing. And we, you know, we feel guilty about that. We don't like it when we have to fake stuff either. And this morning, we're going to hear about people who were spiritual imposters, really, really a nation of people that lived out a counterfeit kind of faith. Instead of following the one true God, opening their hands and their hearts to their wonderful creator, they made up their own uh, deity and a uh, surprise. It looked a lot like them, you know, and who they were. Today, we're finishing up our summer walk through the book of Judges. And, uh, you know, as they say, every good thing must come to an end. And I'm not sure if I'm excited to be done with it today or a little sad because uh, Judges is a tough book. It's got a lot of stories that are difficult to understand. I still have questions even as we're finishing up. Um, and, and so, but we're going to wrap it up together this morning. 
And uh, these last five chapters in the book of Judges are, are kind of the worst of the whole book. Uh, there's just stuff in there that's like, why in the world were people living that way? In fact, chapter 19 is, is so terrible and twisted that I'm not even going to get into it with you. I'll let you read that on your own later. Judges tells the story of this nation of people that were called out by God a group of people called the Jewish people that were rescued from slavery in Egypt and invited into a new way of life. And God brought them towards a new homeland, a promised land. And, and now instead of living into that identity, living into this new kind of uh, family that God had created for them, they had really compromised and fallen in line with the cultures around them and, and really become spiritually stuck. And that's why this summer we've been calling this unstuck because we, we don't want to follow that example. We want to live in a different way. And the people were really stuck spiritually. God had brought them out of captivity and he told them, here's what it looks like to walk with me, to live in a different way of life, to no longer be captive in a, la a foreign land, but to have your own home and to know me and to be involved with your creator. And he laid out specific ways they could stay spiritually and relationally authentic in their everyday lives. He, he said, here's 10 commandments that kind of lay the groundwork of what does it look like to worship one true God and to treat others around you as those made in the image of God. And then he said, I want you to throw big dinner parties. I said, I want you to have these national celebrations where you pause and remember all the good things that I've done, where you rehearse with each other, the way of life that I created you for and the ways that I have rescued you and, 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 and spoke life into you. And, and God said, I want you to build a tent sanctuary out where you are. A, a little reminder that I'm with you, a place that you can say that's where God is because we know he's with us. And, and even though the presence and the power of God fills this world, uh, his, because of his kindness and his generosity, he said, you know what? I'm even going to show up physically for you. I'm going to be like smoke at, at, during the day. I'm going to be a pillar of fire at night. I want you to physically see that I'm with you so that you don't have to struggle with doubt. And they still struggled with doubt, even though he did that. But that was his kindness. And through Moses, God said these words. And this is Exodus 19. He said to the people, so now, if you faithfully obey me and stay true to my covenant, he looked at, he looked at my all and he said, you will be my most precious, precious possession out of all the people's. Since the whole earth belongs to me, he says, you will be a kingdom of priests for me and a holy nation. Says you're, you're all going to be priests. Why does he say that? What is it he trying to say? What does a priest do? Think about like the ideal priest. What are they supposed to do? They're supposed to point people towards God, right? They're supposed to get out of the way and say, hey, do you see what God is doing in the world today? Do you see how God is moving in your life? Do you see what he's inviting you into? What he's inviting you out of? The best priests are those that, that shine light into dark places. And he says, you will be a nation of priests for me to highlight, to glorify that there is a creator, a sustainer, and a perfect father who loves with all that he is. And so if that nation that is called to be priests, to shine light in dark places, if they stop shining that light, if they settle for fake, for no God, th then the whole world suffers because then that light is taken away from them. And that's what we're reading about at the end of the book of Judges. This nation stops pointing out the supernatural. And, and I want to say this can happen to us as well, right? 
We've been invited into a new way of life with Jesus. And Jesus says, I want you to be light in your world. I want you to be salt, bringing out the God flavors in your neighborhood. I want you to be my ambassadors and my witnesses. I want you to be priests. That's why Peter would write in his letter to the church, those who are following Jesus, he would say, you're all priests. You're all a holy nation. You're supposed to bring light to dark places. And sometimes we get stuck spiritually and we don't live that out the way God invites us to. So we're going to see that this morning. Open up your Bibles, if you would. If you've got a Bible, open up your Bible app. We're going to go to Judges 17, uh, towards the end of this Old Testament book. And we're going to look at a story here in chapter 17, verse 1. I'm going to skim through some other things as well. And I'm just praying and hoping that, that you'll see God's invitation this morning to worship him for who he truly is, uh, to let go of the, the fake and embrace what is real. So Judges 17, verse 1, starts with these words. Now a man named Micah from the hill country of Ephraim said to his mother, the 1,100 shekels of silver that were taken from you and about which I heard you utter a curse. Uh, I've got that silver with me. I took it. I think this sentence is amazing. What a great way to start a story. Like we're coming out of a section of of Judges we've been reading. And this is the first kind of mention we hear of Micah. And we get this sentence that just kind of opens up a whole lot of questions for me. Like who is Micah? Uh, Where is Ephraim? Uh, 1100 shekels. When did he take that? How did his mom get that kind of money? What's the curse that she said? Because it scared him so much. He came back and brought the money back to her. Um, And so his mother says to him, the Lord bless you, my son. Verse three, when he returned the 1100 shekels of silver to his mother, she said, I solemnly consecrate my silver to the Lord for my son to make an image overlaid with silver. I will give it back to you. So after he returned the silver to his mother, she took 200 shekels of silver and gave it to to a silversmith who used them to make an idol. And it was put in Micah's house. What we have happening here is this great transition in the book of Judges, where we've been going through chapters 3 through 16, and we've been reading about this this season of life that the people of Israel were in. We're kind of at a high level. We've been looking at the leaders of the people and the nations that would come against them and how those leaders would bring them against and bring freedom again. And, And now we move into these last five chapters where we were introduced to little individuals who were living during this period of time. So we kind of start to get a little more microscopic view of what was life like in Israel during this period of the judges. This, this cycle that we've been reading about as, as the people have moved through rebellion against God and hardship and then crying out to God for freedom. And he sends a judge to lead them. And then there's peace in the land. And we've been going around this cycle, kind of a downward spiral over and over again. God rescuing and the people falling away. And now we have some specific stories of what was life like for a person to live during this season. And actually the next book of the Bible after Judges is Ruth. And Ruth begins with these words. In the days when the judges ruled. So Ruth is another example of what was it like for one person to live during this season in Israel's history. And this first story is about Micah, not the Old Testament prophet, uh, but a different Micah. And he steals from his mom. And he says, hey, mom, you know that money that was stolen? I heard you cursing the person who stole it. So you should probably know you're cursing me. Uh, here's the money. I want to give it back to you. And I like how she responds. She's so happy. She says, well, bless you. Thank you for robbing me and now bringing the money back. You know, bless you, my son. And I'm, at, I'm, I'm left wondering, how much is 1,100 shekels of silver? You know, I don't carry shekels around with me anymore. So, you know, how much is that? Is it like a dime? So like Micah stole 110 bucks. How much did he take? 
take from his mom. Uh, sometimes we ask questions and scripture gives us the answer. Thankfully, ten, down in verse 10, Micah later, he's trying to hire someone to work for him. And he says, hey, I'll pay you and I will pay you 10 shekels a year. That's how much I'll pay you. So now we know shekels, 10 shekels is a, a, an annual salary, a yearly salary for someone. So imagine your salary. If you're still working, imagine uh, you, how much you make in a year and multiply it by 110 years. So how much are we talking about? We're talking about millions of dollars, right? We're talking about a small fortune that he had taken from his mom. 1,100 uh, shekels. Uh, this last story we looked at last week was Samson. We know he fell in love with Delilah. Delilah was paid off to kind of figure out Samson's weaknesses. And she was paid off with 1,100 shekels of silver. There's a little connection between these two stories. So Micah's mom is so happy about having the money back that she makes an idol to remember God's goodness and uh, sets up this image at Micah's house. And let's keep reading verse five gets worse here. Now this man, Micah had a shrine and he made an ephod and some household gods and installed one of his sons as his priest. In those days, Israel had no king and everyone did as they saw fit. There was no authority in Israel. They didn't acknowledge a ruler over them or someone who was trying to help them know how to live life. So they all just did what they thought they should do. They did the best they could. They did what they thought was right. What felt right in their hearts. How did they make those decisions? Right? Did they use logic, you know, and they had choices to make Did they make out their pro list and their cons list. And they said, what's the best seems wise to me. And oh, this one has more pros and cons. So that must be, that's a good choice. I'm going to do that. Or did they involve their emotions? You know, did they say, what's my heart? Tell me, how am I feeling about this? Some uh, business gurus these days say, trust your instincts, go with your gut, you know? So are they in just kind of doing their gut work and making their best choices? Maybe they're kind of living it out the way Angela and I do with our air conditioning at home. You know, I'll be down in the basement where it's chilly. And so I'll go on my little app and I'll turn the AC off. And Angela's on the third floor seeing clients in her office where it's a bit of an oven. And so she'll get on her app and turn the AC back on. And I'll hear this little click down the hall. And I'll be like, oh, whoops. And I'll shut it back down again. You know, I'm downstairs pulling on wool socks and a parka and she's upstairs sweating in front of her clients. And they think, what she do, does she know what she's doing? Because she's sweating, you know, and she's in this little oven upstairs. This is what happens when we do what we think is right in our moment, how we feel. I think I should do this. When we make decisions individually, what happens is conflict and strife. You're going to come against others. You're going you're to butt heads with others. If right and wrong is a daily decision that we make up in our minds and our impulses, well, then war and strife is going to be our everyday struggle in our families, in our communities. Not to mention, like, internally, if we just make our decisions based on what we think is best, give me a couple days, I'm going to feel different. I'm going to be like, oh, what was I thinking? I'm going to feel shame and guilt. This own, I'm going to have my own internal war. And this is why, this is why it's God's kindness and his grace that he says, hey, this is the way to live your life. This is the way to walk with me. If you want to know what it is you should do, let me lay it out for you. It's God's kindness that says, here is the way to walk. Don't do that. You should do this. But too often we, we put God in our own little boxes and make our own little idols. And God clearly said, don't make, don't make idols. Don't, don't make me small. He said it through Moses, Exodus 4, or sorry, Deuteronomy 4. God speaking to Moses and he says to him, you saw no form of any kind the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of that fire. Moses, when you saw that burning bush, God is saying, you didn't see a form to it. It was a, a bush on fire. 
Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully so that you do not become corrupt and make for yourselves an idol, an image of any shape, whether formed like a man or woman or like an animal on the earth or a bird that flies in the air or like any creature that moves on the ground or fish in the waters. God says, don't make an idol. And Micah's mom says, I'm so thankful to God. I'm going to make an idol, you know, and you kind of, you're left wondering, what is she thinking about? It's like when you tell your kid, hey, put the Legos away. It's time for dinner. And they say, you bet, dad, I'm just going to pull out one more box of Legos and I'll see you for breakfast in the morning. You know, it's like, are you listening to me? Do you hear what I'm saying? I'm being very clear. Why aren't you doing it? Why does God say, I don't want you to make idols? Why does it that he says, I don't want you to create some kind of sculpture or painting that tries to capture who I am. I don't want you to worship idols. Why does he say that? It's because an idol or an image will leave important sides of God hidden and it will highlight the character, characteristics of God that we want to highlight, that we like. And so when someone hurts me and I want them to change their behavior, I'm going to paint an image of God. I'm going to create an idol of God where he's stern with his fists and his fingers saying, you got to change your ways. You know, I'm going to make my God angry. That he's judgmental. And he's because well, yeah, you need to change. But, it, but if I'm, if I'm, you know, hurting, I might want to, for myself, I might make an idol that has God very gentle and kind smiling, you know, maybe he's holding a lamb that he's petting, you know, that's, I want that softness. I'm not going to show the accountability that God calls us to. If you try to capture God in one image in an idol, you're going to, you're not going to do it. You're not going to capture who he is. You can't limit him to that. Our perfect creator, God, our loving father, our righteous judge, you can't be reduced to an image. And this is why one of the 10 commandments says, do not worship an idol. Micah does more than just make an idol. He sets up his whole little worship culture here. You can see it happening. Builds a shrine. He, he sews together an ephod, which is like a priestly garment. He ordains his own priests. He's simply doing what's right in his own eyes. Instead of surrendering to what God has said, acknowledging what God has clearly told him through Moses, we come to find out in a moment that Micah knew what the law was, the Mosaic law. He knew the way of life that God had created. Instead of doing that, he just redefines God and makes up his own fake small religion. And it continues to get worse. Look at verse 7. It says, a young Levite from Bethlehem and Judah, who had been living within the clan of Judah, left the town in search of another place to stay. And on his way, he came to Micah's house in the hill country of Ephraim. And Micah asked him, where are you from? I'm a Levite from Bethlehem and Judah, he said, and I'm looking for a place to stay. And then Micah said to him, live with me and be my priest. So right away, we know Micah, he knew the Levites. He knew what, that God had called out this one tribe from the people to be their priests. He knew what it the God said, these are, these are the ones who will be my priests and lead people toward me. Micah knew the law. He knew what Moses had said. He says, so come and be my priest and I'll give you 10 shekels of silver a year, your clothes and your food. So the Levite agreed to live with him. And the young man became like one of his sons to him. Then Micah installed the Levite and the young man became the, his priest and lived in his house. And Micah said, now I know that the Lord will be good to me since this Levite has become my priest. That phrase is very telling of what Micah is actually thinking about, isn't it? Now God is required to bring good stuff to my life because I've set up all these things, a spiritual dynamic that feels right to me. I've created this cosmically centered, transcendent experience that looks and feels right to me, fits who I am. And now God's got to do good stuff for me because I've created something for him. He thinks he's creating this way of life that's going to be wonderful and good and beautiful. And we, you know, because we know what scripture says, because we follow Jesus, we see this story and we say he's created a highway to death. 
He's leading himself towards spiritual destruction. And this is how we operate in our world today. This is, this is how people live. And before we get too quick pointing our fingers at others, let's take a look at our own hearts. Let's take a look at the log in our own eyes. We fall into this just as much as others do. We settle for a, less, a lesser vi- version of God. We create in our minds what we think he should be like. We set our expectations over him. We put our hope in what we can control and make happen. Instead of trusting that God is at work, we cling to people to meet our needs, our greatest, deepest needs, instead of turning to God and inviting him to take care of us. We insist that God explain himself to us to make sense of the hardships that we face. Instead of believing that even in the suffering, even in those dark valleys that we go through, that God is with us, that he is faithful to bring us through. In our hearts, we murmur, hey, I've been doing my quiet time. I've been praying. I got lots of people praying. Why aren't you doing what you're supposed to do? I'm doing all the right things. Why aren't you showing up and making my life the way it's supposed to be? What I dreamed it would be. We've all done this. I've folded my arms over my heart and said, you know what, God, I'm not moving till I understand what it is you're asking me to do. I can't get my mind around that. I don't understand it. So I'm not taking the first step. I'm waiting until you make it clear. We do this. We create God in our own image. We settle for a small version of following Jesus. We say, God, I've, I, you exist for me. Do the, I do the right things in the right way and you owe me. I, it should feel good to me. And when we settle for this kind of relationship with God, we get stuck spiritually. We limit ourselves. We limit what God can do through us. We we fall for a shallow love for ourselves, and we can only express a shallow love to those around us. And God created you and me to experience something else. He said, I've come to give you life and life to the fullest. And, And we can't get our minds around what Jesus meant when he said, I've come to give you a full life. Because whatever we imagine as a full life, it's not going to be all that God wants to do, all that he's created us for. We can't get our minds around it. Religion wants to access God so that we can get what we want from him. But true faith wants to give God access to our hearts so that he can transform us. True faith, real relationship with our father recreates us in the image of Jesus instead of us recreating God in our image means we surrender to him. What happens when you embrace uh, a religion instead of a relationship with Jesus? What happens when you create your own small God instead of surrendering to the one true God? Well, let's look what happens to Micah chapter 18. Micah's story continues. And I want to skip down to verse 23, 24, but let me tell you what's happening as we move towards those verses. One of the tribes of Israel is looking for a new home. Uh, The tribe of Dan, the Danites, I like how you can add ites to the end of a name and create a tribe, right? So I have the Nateites back at my house. You guys can create your own tribes. Uh, But the Danites, they're looking for a new home. So they send out a delegation of five men to explore the land. And this delegation comes across Micah and they're surprised that he has his own priest. How did this guy get his own priest? You know, they're kind of blown away by that. And they keep looking around and they find a place. So they go back and they get all their family, all the Danites. They say, let's go. We've got a new home. And they're coming through Micah's neighborhood. The whole clan, the whole tribe is moving through. And these five say, hey, we need a priest. We're we're going to a new land. Let's go get Micah's priest. We'll take his priest and he can be our priest. And so they go and they take Micah's uh, idol and they take his priest and they continue on their journey. And Micah comes running after them. And this is where we pick it up in verse 23. Micah and his people, they're shouting after the Danites. They're coming after them. And the Danites turn around and they, they say to Micah, what's the matter? 
Why are you bringing out all of your men to fight us? In verse 24, Micah replies, you took the gods I made and my priest away from me. What else do I have? How can you ask what's the matter with you? What's the matter with you? He's like indignant. How can you ask that? You've taken everything that has value to me. When you make up your own little God, when you reduce your spiritual experience and connections to what you can understand, when you create your own, with your own mind and you shrink God down to a size that you can control, you're going to live with fear and anxiety that you might lose that little God you've created because you control him and you might lose him. Every day is going to be filled with anxious thoughts and worry because it all depends on you. You're going to be stressed out about who likes you today or doesn't like you today. Do I have enough in the bank to make it through the week? You're going to be worried and anxious about all sorts of things because it all rests on your shoulders. When you create a God you can control, you live with anxiety. But when you surrender to God, you will live with peace. When you create a God you can control, you will live with anxiety. But when you surrender to God, he will pour into your life a peace beyond your understanding that you cannot understand. So let me ask you, have you surrendered to God today? Have you opened your heart to Jesus and invited him to take it all? Or are you trying to manage God and control, control what he does in your life? Are you making your own small G God in your, with your own hands and your own image? Or are you inviting the God of creation to come and transform you? Are you trusting him to walk with you every step through this day? Peace, hope, and forgiveness are found in our confession of sin and in our surrender to the grace and mercy of God. New life is found when we see clearly, not through our own eyes, what we think is right, but we see through the eyes of God, how he has revealed himself through Jesus, through the words of scripture, how he has showed up in our lives and we trust him. We find peace. If we go back to the story of the Danites, they take Micah's fake God and his weak priest and they, they go off and they do everything that they want to do. They, they, they attack a peaceful people and they steal their land and it only gets worse from there. Chapter 19, again, is a brutal story that we're not going to read through, but it involves slavery and lust and death and a final graphic message that is so terrible that the people of God don't know what to do with it. Right at the end of chapter 19, everyone saw this graphic message and they said, we've never heard of such a thing. Nothing like this has ever happened since the Israelites left Egypt. We have to do something about it. What will it be? What are we going to do? And instead of turning to God and say, God, what would you have us do? They just do what they think is right in their own minds and in their own hearts. And they continue down this terrible path. They claim that God is leading them, but he is not. They're not turning to him. And they, they wipe out a whole tribe, 25,000 people they kill and destroy. And the book finishes up and we're kind of left wondering, can anything good come from this chosen nation, this people of God? The last verse of Judges, in those days, Israel had no king. They had no authority. They didn't see God. They didn't see their heavenly king. And everyone did as they saw fit. And we're left wondering, how is this going to turn around? What's going, to ha what's going to happen now? And so we go into the book of Ruth and we can't go through the whole book of Ruth this morning, but there's this, it's a great story of how this, what this can look like if, if, if you trust God. It's the story of Ruth who lived during the same period of time. And yet she lived in a very different way. Tells her story as she comes from an outside the nation of Israel and she surrenders to God and finds hope and connection and new life because of a redeemer, not the redeemer, but a redeemer that is able to create a way through the hardship that she's facing. 
The story of Ruth and her redeemer, Boaz, it really stands in opposition to these stories that we're reading at the, book, at the end of the book of Judges. She doesn't make up her own religion. She doesn't try to create God in her own image. She doesn't try to manipulate things. She just surrenders and is honest and sees what is true. And there's this moment, there's this moment towards the end of Ruth. She turns to this kind man, Boaz. And she says, I am your servant, Ruth. Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. These words that are just a wonderful example of what it looks like to engage with God and our Savior Jesus. Ruth's words are filled with surrender and trust and hope and faith. You are the one who can save me, cover me. You are my redeemer. And this is how we are invited to approach Jesus. And I, I just think it's wonderful that Ruth, a non-Jew Moabite from outside the kingdom, comes into Israel and sets an example for the people of God. Such an important reminder for us that, that God can surprise us with, with the other, the unfamiliar, the stranger, the outsider, can help us see God's grace in new and different ways. And there's this time when Jesus was talking with a group of people who were struggling with the same thing that Ruth was. And they, they think Jesus is supposed to bring some kind of cultural revolution. And he's trying to help them understand that real life, real spiritual change is available to them. And it's found in his life and his teaching, not through some cultural revolution. And he says, let me give you an example. I'm like living bread. The, way, the same way bread gives you physical life. I'm the bread of life that gives you spiritual life. And, and that those listening don't like what he's saying. Doesn't make sense to them. They can't understand it. That's not what they want to hear. So they begin to walk away. And it's almost like they're saying, Jesus, if you're not going to say what we want you to say, if you're not going to do what we want you to do, we're just going to go do our own thing. We're going to figure it out ourselves. It's a pretty sad moment in the stories of Jesus's life. And, and he turns to his closest friends, his disciples, and he looks deeply in their eyes. In John 6, he says this, Jesus says, do you want to leave also? And I don't think he says that like in a desperate way. I think he says it because he loves them. He says, I, I want you to have life. I want you to live to the fullest. Are you going to leave as well? And Simon Peter answers him and says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter says, Jesus, would you throw your cover over us? You are our family redeemer. You are the one who can make things right. You are our creator God. And we need you. When, when life is stuck, when you're filled with anxious thoughts and empty hope, when what happened to you yesterday doesn't make sense and you think you're in a dead end, Jesus turns to you and says, this is the way of life. I am the truth. I am the way. I am the life. Today, right now, we can let go of our self-made religion and instead find life, a life that doesn't end, a life that is called full by Jesus. Today is the day for you to settle this in your heart and to surrender to Christ. So let's ask him to help us do that. Will you, will you pray with me? Father God, we're so thankful that you know us and you see us. God, you know all that we are experiencing in our life today. You know the concerns. You know the opportunities. You know the joys. You know the struggles. Father, we thank you that we can trust you with our lives. And thank you for sending Jesus to save us. To save us from a shallow religion to save us from what seems right in our own eyes. You created us for relationship. You created us for life. 
And Father, we just acknowledge that so often we settle for something less. We push away. We walk in a different direction. We rebel against you. We sin, Father, and we need your forgiveness. Jesus, thank you for offering us a new life, forgiving yourself so that we could be forgiven. And Lord, I want to pray right now for anyone in the room that has a sense that you're speaking to them about their reality. Anyone right now, Lord, who you are putting your hand on their back and you're whispering in their ear, you're saying, this is for you. I love you. I'm with you. You're not alone. You can trust me even when you don't understand. You can believe even when you don't have all the answers. Father, you're speaking to our hearts right now. I pray for anyone who maybe gave their life to you years ago. Maybe when they were a kid, they can think back to that time when they surrendered to you, Jesus. And yet lately, they just, they haven't had a sense that you're with them. They felt alone. They felt separated. And God, you're calling them back to yourself right now. You're saying, don't settle for religion. I want to walk every day with you. I'm thinking of someone, Lord, in the room right now who for the first time, they're realizing that they've just been playing faith and showing up at church because they're supposed to. They've been creating their own religion. They've never really surrendered to you fully. They've never really acknowledged their need for forgiveness, that you are their redeemer. You've bought them back. And for the first time, Father God, you have opened their heart. Right now they're saying, man, I want to follow Jesus. I want to be forgiven. I want to experience that life to the full. God, you're speaking to our hearts right now. Might we hear from you? Might we listen? I want to invite you to pray with me. If God's talking to you, just pray these words with me. Father God, I am yours. I need you today. I'm sorry for the ways that I've turned away from you, the ways that I've sinned. I confess that I need forgiveness and I receive forgiveness from you, Jesus. I lay my life down and I receive from you a new life. I'm done making it up all on my own. I don't want to settle for a small God. Father, I surrender to you and receive life from you. It's because of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. If you uh, sense God moving in you this morning, I, I would love for you to tell someone about that. Let me give you a couple ideas of how to do that. Um, actually, would you stand with me? I want to invite you to stand. I want to invite our prayer team to come up front here. And if you have a sense of God is moving in your heart in a new way this morning, I would love for you to come up and let our volunteers up front, our prayer team, let them know about it. Ask them to pray with you about it so that we can celebrate with you what God is doing inside of you and in your heart. You can also uh, talk with me or, or Nate or Jessica, other staff. Share your story with us so we can celebrate with you. And if talking to someone's a little difficult for you, take one of those connection cards and just write down your name and say, hey, I'm, I'm wanting to follow Jesus in a new way. I want to grow in my faith in a new way. And let us know. You can take those cards. You can take your offering and drop it in the joy boxes in the, the back of the room. And we celebrate generosity here. I want you to know the next couple weeks, we've got some fun things happening. Nate talked about next Sunday at the block party. And on September 3rd, uh, we're going to have a potluck uh, in the afternoon. 
And uh, that afternoon, one of the things we want to encourage you to consider is going to a different church with us. I don't know if you know this, but there's a Hispanic church that meets here uh, Sunday afternoons at 1.30, Pani Vino. And Pastor William and his congregation, they've invited us to join them for church on that, on Sunday, uh, September 3rd. So uh, I don't say this very often, but if you want to skip church with us that morning and come to church at 1.30, I would love for you to do that, to be with uh, our Hispanic brothers and sisters on Sunday, uh, September 3rd. So this morning, I wanted to say, go with God. Might you believe that he is with you, that he is for you, that he sees your life. As you walk out of these doors, you are bringing light to dark places. You are bringing love to lonely people. So go and be those witnesses of God's love in your world this week and today. We'll see you next Sunday. Amen. Go with God.